You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time. We hope since we met last, there's been a real game at the Hall of Fame. So the Hall of Fame game, Jacksonville and the Raiders, took place on Thursday night. A lot of off-field news, and, and we'll be touching on that a little bit. It seems to be dominating and some really big stories. I mean, we had the the whole thing with, with Kyler Murray and his claws, and it's almost forgotten now because they took it out of his contract. But, you know, Deshaun Watson case, the judge made a ruling. Now it's being appealed. The NFLPA's reply, you know, so here we go. And then kind of under the radar, this whole Dolphins thing with the tampering and tanking and everything else. So we'll hit on those, but we'll also hit on some uh, players that we were hearing some good things out of camp, uh, mostly rookies. You know, that's typically the, the way that goes. Second round wide receivers from the 2019 draft, second round and beyond that have gotten extensions. And there's kind of a trend here with the types of extensions they're getting. So with that, let's bring in Alex Kavtoff. Alex, uh, we're here. We're ready to go. We had a game. I'm glad that there was finally a game, you know, Hall of Famers being enshrined into Canton. I'm sure you watched that. It was weird because they did it at noon, like yesterday. Well, yesterday was Saturday. We're recording on Sunday, but I don't mean to interrupt. But it was just, a, it was a, a weird feeling, almost like there wasn't as many people in the stadium. And the, and the, the, actually, a lot of the speeches were really short. No, I just really enjoyed, like, Dick Vermeil, you know, giving his speech yeah. oh, and kind of yeah. inspiring people. And then Bryant Young, who has been waiting for, like, the longest time. And, you know, he was a former 49er, and he uh, gave a, a speech about his son. I just thought that was really cool. And, you know, Leroy Butler, you know, remembering Bobby Bowden and, and that story. So, you know, just some guys getting enshrined, and I just want to give a little shout-out to those people that finally got in. Always great to watch them, them talk about the speeches. And I think the older I get, the, the more I appreciate the speeches because they really focus in on, you know, the guy, not so much the player, you know, who helped them get there, all the, you know, the stories. I mean, you know, typically on this show, you'll hear us talking to college prospects and they're like at the beginning of their careers. And we try to like draw out the story. And these guys have gone through everything their entire careers life after football and now they're reflecting and it's really good that when they do you know touch on some of those memories and some of the stories that you would have never heard while they were playing so that yeah that that is really cool and so if there was a line in vegas i mean everybody would have lost i mean dick vermeil is i mean he'd be at press conferences during his chiefs days or whatever that i would watch on a regular basis and he would choke up it's his hall of fame speech He's talking about, you know, some really personal stuff. He didn't shed a tear. I mean, it was the biggest upset, I think, of the weekend. And I would bet most people had, okay, over, under, when was it going to take place? And he just did, you know, a great job. And, you know, he really went in depth on, uh, you know, all three places he was at in terms of the pros in Philadelphia, St. Louis, and Kansas City, going back to UCLA. And he had coaches from his high school there that he coached with. I think it was Hillman High or whatever, but a lot 
lot of people from every stop were there. A lot of them obviously have passed on, but uh, yeah, like you said, every every guy did a great job, and that's always cool. As far as the game is concerned, there's really not a whole lot you're going to glean from this. I mean, obviously, coaches want to see how the young players react the first time under the lights, and again, it's not a huge setting because you know smaller stadium and so forth. But anyway, the one thing that really struck me. And I think a lot of people took it one way or another was that Josh Jacobs got as much action as he got in the first quarter where there weren't any stars in the game on both sides. Trevon Walker, you know, he flashed on a few plays and, uh, you know, that's good for him. But again, you're playing against backups. But Josh Jacobs getting the ball like seven times in the first quarter, you know, to me... It is Josh McDaniels as the coach. It is, you know, coming from that Belichick tree. They use like three and four, five running backs during the course of a season, and they don't care who's getting the ball. And to me, it wasn't they were showcasing him for a trade. I'm thinking it's just, hey, we need to build some scar tissue on our running backs. They're not getting hit so much in camp. They're not really getting in football shape to be taking those hits, you know, time and time again every week. So this, I think, was his way, and I think you'll see this because they have an extra preseason game in the next three games of getting the other guys beat up a little bit just to get ready for those you know hits that are going to start coming week one. I have a different take a little bit. I don't think they're dangling Josh Jacobs because I don't think they have anything behind him as far as like a guy that I can rely on. They've got a couple of rookies that maybe will contribute, But I think it's a way for Josh McDaniels and that coaching staff kind of lighting a fire under Josh Jacobs because he was a former first-round pick by Mike Mayock. He didn't turn out to be a great pick. I mean, he has been above average. He's been good, but he hasn't, like, lit the world on fire by any means. Uh, They took him, obviously, because he was underutilized at Alabama, so the thought process was... He's athletic, he's fast, he's got the size, he can carry the load. He can be that running back for us for like seven to eight years. He hasn't been that. He has been injured. So I think it's a way to just showcase that, hey, nobody is safe. And, you know, we're going to play a first-round pick if we want to see what he can showcase in a real game. Maybe he hasn't been all that great in training camp. So I don't think they're going to cut him. I don't think they're going to trade him. It's just trying to give him a little wake-up call. By saying, hey, you're going to play in the first game because, hey, nobody's spot is safe here. I just think they're trying to light a fire under him a little bit. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I don't think he's going anywhere. So, I mean, people, they're so, oh, they're showcasing him for a trade. I, I just don't see that happening. I would think it would be more the reverse. They'd, they'd kind of sit him out and keep him fresh for the next team that would, would want to trade for him. Some names that are flashing. And again, this isn't anything that I've seen on the field. I'm not in these camps. Just things that I've read and just kind of trying to read between the lines. Uh, most of them are rookies. I think they're all rookies, you know, just a handful of dudes. Uh, Isaiah Likely, we're still a friend of the show. We had him on for an interview last year. So uh, we're kind of partial to the guys that we've, we've interviewed going into the draft. But he evidently, he's showing up very much so in Ravens camp. Now, obviously, he's got Mark Andrews ahead of him, uh, draft mate uh, Charlie Kolar as well. So he's got some people ahead of him. But he's got some speed. They can move him out. I think that offense is going to continue to evolve. They don't have, you know, a big time receiver yet. 
Uh, Rashad Bateman seems to be that guy, but you know nothing that is in stone. So who knows? Maybe we'll see likely. Uh, we talked a little bit off air about uh, Trevor Penning beating the crap out of people down in Saints camp. And I think it's just awesome that you've got a rookie offensive lineman. Not that he's just going in there to fight. He has gotten into some scuffles, but he's also showing that nastiness technique and everything you else that you want to see it's not just like a, a richie incognito maybe that just lo- loses his mind when he gets a little pissed off but i like that edge on the offensive line i know you do too alex come on i always look for that yeah i look for a tough nasty in your face offensive linemen that like to get physical that play to the whistle or after the whistle i love those guys those are the guys i look for when i'm scouting offensive line i don't want guys that are soft i don't want guys that are don't want like any part of the defensive lineman or linebacker out there i want them like blocking and knocking people behinds off and you know knocking them to the ground and finishing them off that's what i always looked for and i i know that a lot of offensive line coaches that's what they look for when they turn on the tape when they're looking for those guys that they want to draft or bring into camp as undrafted free agents i want tough dudes tough physical offensive linemen so i don't have a problem with trevor penning doing this but i just don't want him to get penalized you know i think he needs to tone it down a little bit after the whistle because you know they're gonna throw flags on him like you know during the game and i think that's something that the coaching staff was trying to get across because i think he got into like three different scuffles with three different people for three straight days and i just think that there's always a fine line there you want to play physical you want to get in in defenders faces you have to be that nasty guy you know but you got to tone it down a little bit in in that regard you're you're gonna hurt your team as you move forward and as you start in real nfl game well let's hope it's just training camp stuff and guys that are just hitting you know the same people over and over again and just getting a little irritated by the whole thing just consecutive plays you know bang 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 against the, your own teammates uh you know with the same color helmets but I just think that's really cool and I I think it, it is a training camp thing but again that's just my opinion but uh let's hope that, that he tones things down another one of our guys is in a situation where you know the the wide receiver position is a huge question mark in Indianapolis and you know hearing really good things about our guy Alec Pierce another you know guy that we had on through the process on pros like us and a guy that I really liked I know you liked him talking to him and just sounded like he really has his head on correctly Uh, he's got a lot of speed pretty decent catch radius on the kid you figure Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be the guy or the number one guy they really don't have a solid number two so I wouldn't be shocked to see you know Alec Pierce getting a ton of snaps you know on that Indianapolis team and another wide receiver we didn't have him on but Romeo Dubs is really taking advantage of the fact that Christian Watson is out at Green Bay camp. And just every day, it seems like there's just more and more positivity coming out of there. Now, again, sometimes that can be false. Maybe it's an agent, a pipe in his guy. I don't know. But in hearing some of the interviews with Aaron Rodgers over the last few days, 
he's really talking them up, which he rarely does that with rookies. So, you know, let's see what happens. But uh, Romeo Dubs, I know that was a guy that you like coming out of Nevada. Always one of my favorite players watching those late night games on the West Coast. So uh, Romeo Dubs, Alec Pierce, come on, let's go. You're one of the few people that does watch those late games, you know, on the West Coast because you're on the East Coast. So The house is quiet. I don't have to worry about anything. Everybody's asleep. So, yeah. Not many people watch those, you know, those conferences and and stuff like that. Nobody even watches the Pac-12, Lou. Not, you know, mentioning the Mountain West Conference. But yeah, Romeo Dobbs, I really liked his hands. I really loved his ability to track the ball, like on those vertical routes and and go get them. And he was really good at at the deep ball, uh, catching the deep ball. So I think he's going to become one of those Aaron Rodgers' favorite targets early on. And I've said this, he's going to outplay Christian Watson. I have no doubt about it because the guy was a producer. The guy produced at a high level the last couple of years at Nevada. And forget about it. It doesn't matter. Look at Devontae Adams, you know, the former Packer. He also played in the Mountain West Conference of Fresno State with Derek Carr. And look at the type of numbers that he has put up in Green Bay before. I think uh, Dubs just needs to become a better route runner. But I think overall, he's going to be a big time playmaker there for that team. I also heard some good things about James Cook kind of building that chemistry with Josh Allen. And I think he's just going to become a favorite target coming out of the backfield because Cook is so smooth catching the football. Uh, You know, he's the younger brother of uh, Dalvin Cook. We all know what Dalvin has been able to do when he's stayed healthy on the field with the Vikings. I think James Cook was an underutilized weapon at Georgia. He was a big time recruit. And, I mean, this guy can catch like 70 or 80 balls in that offense. He can become that Alvin Kamara uh, for the Bills because you know that he's going to get a lot of single coverage by the linebackers because the Bills have so many wide receivers, so many weapons. can't cover them all. So I think Cook is is building a a big-time chemistry with Josh Allen, and I think will continue um, into the regular season. Okay, last one, and I'm going homer here. You know I would. Seventh-round running back from Rutgers, Isaiah Pacheco. He is thoroughly impressed, Dave Tobe, the special teams coach with the Chiefs, where he is, as it stands right now, and again, we're early, haven't played a single game or anything like that. We'll see Saturday how many opportunities he gets against the Bears, but uh, as far as in the return game. They're also rotating most of their backs, and he's getting a lot of first-team snaps. And at every turn, whether it be Coach Reed, whether it be Eric Bieniemy, and EB is not an easy guy to, to really impress, especially if you are a running back. He's especially hard on, on the running backs, obviously, having played the position, coached the position, so forth. But uh, he's got a lot of speed contact balance they're saying you know some they're throwing kareem hunt's name out there as kind of a, a comp but pacheco being a little bit faster had to go homer here watch out isaiah pacheco might get might get some run during the course of the season now, i mean he's not going to unseat uh edwards alaire or ronald jones but he is going to be in that rotation and uh, don't be surprised if he starts getting a little run there one guy for me uh it was a guy that i had high praise for, and I thought he was going to outplay his draft position. George Pickens, a wide receiver out of Georgia. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Another yeah. bulldog. He's been standing out at Steelers training camp. He's been gaining a lot of attention for his body control and big play ability. And it looks like 
the Steelers might have struck gold once again with the wide receiver on day two. They always do. Like they always do. So it just, the big question is who's going to be throwing him the ball? I think that's the huge question when it comes to the Steelers because nobody has lit the world on fire. But, you know, you and I have heard different things coming out of training camp. I've heard that Mitchell Trubisky has been struggling a bit, you know, in that offense. Obviously, it's his first time in that first year in that system. You've heard that, you know, Mason Rudolph, you know, someone has been pumping him up. Maybe it's his agent. Maybe it's some other reporter out there. But it, it sounds like Mason Rudolph should win this job based on the the reports coming out of Steelers training camp. I don't know if it was Canada or the, the quarterback coach, but I think, again, it was like one statement where he was really impressed with uh, how Mason Rudolph was running things and so forth. Well, he's been there the longest. He's been there with Canada for a few, for a couple of years at least now. So you would think at the beginning of camp, yeah, he would be ahead of Trubisky. He would be ahead of Pickett in terms of knowledge and just kind of ease of the operation. Again, I think it's just, you talked about lighting a fire and so forth. Again, it, it may just be fodder to, to get Trubisky on his toes to get Kenny Pickett to move along I don't think any of the three have really lit it up so it's not like Mason Rudolph is killing that Steeler defense and I don't think any of the three are going to be able to do that and I still maintain that at the beginning of the season it's going to be Trubisky to get it going and eventually you'll see Pickett play whether it's by injury or just the fact that Trubisky just doesn't have it but you know for Steeler fans you know maybe maybe he does and he does enough because they're going to rely on their defense they're going to rely on Najee Harris they're going to rely on Trubisky's legs a little bit more so I'd pump the brakes a little bit on Mason Rudolph right now we talked a little bit about uh, contract extensions and the different I guess styles and theories and philosophies going into free agency. And I think one of the things in terms of the idea was always for players, hey, get as much upfront as you can and you know get a long-term deal, you know, make sure that you get the security of the long-term deal. Well, I think the fact that, one, the money has become such to a point where if you get a decent amount of guaranteed money, you're kind of set, right? You don't have to sign the extended deal and you get the opportunity, if you're young enough, to get that second bite at free agency, that second bite of the apple, if you will. At least one agent, I believe Tory Dandy, represents a bunch of these second, third round wide receivers from the 2019 draft where A.J. Brown, he signed a four-year deal, and that's the longest of them. Four years, 100 million, 56 guaranteed. So he gets 56 guaranteed. He doesn't need a six-year deal. He doesn't need a five-year deal. Doesn't need no. I mean, he's getting a hundred million, right? So our fifty-six guaranteed. You can kind of roll the dice with that next contract. DK Metcalf, three years, seventy-two, fifty-eight guaranteed. Chris Godwin, three years, sixty million, forty guaranteed. Mike Williams, three years, sixty million, forty guaranteed. Debo, three years, seventy-two, fifty-eight. Looks like the agent Dandy almost has like a template. And, and he's used it with with different guys, whether it be you know Debo and DK getting 24 per year over three years, 
or Godwin and Williams getting 20 per year. Uh, some other guys, Hunter Renfro, he signed two years, 32 million, 21 guaranteed. McLaurin, three years, 70, 53 guaranteed. Recently, Deontay Johnson, two years, 37, 27 guaranteed. So there's definitely a trend here. And I kind of likened it earlier in the year to like NBA players where the shorter term deals, a lot of money up front. Well, their whole deals are, are, are guaranteed. But I guess the point is, let's get another shot at free agency. And maybe it's just the wide receivers that feel like, hey, I can stay healthy. We're not getting beat up too much. I got my 60 million, 70 million guaranteed. I'm set next contract. You know, or three years from now, before I'm 28 years old, I can hit this again. So I, I, that's just kind of the sense that I was getting then. Obviously, it, it's it's kind of going in that direction, and it, so far, it's just been the wide receivers. Is there any other position where you think this might be the case, Alex, where the guys will start wanting shorter term deals so they can hit free agency as the salary cap keeps going up? Well, I think we could look at defensive backs as well cornerbacks I think that would be another position to look at those guys usually play the longest because they're not getting beat up quite as much as the the linebackers or you know the offensive linemen or the defensive linemen but to be honest with you Lou it's a huge risk it's still the NFL this is still football in the NBA if you keep yourself in great shape you could play for like 20 years I mean guys have personal trainers they could play up to like 35 years old, 40, and they can have as many contracts. They can do like three, four-year deals, and they could like sign three or four contracts in their lifetime. In the NFL, your lifespan is a lot shorter. Who cares if you're a wide receiver? You're still getting hit. Still a grown man's sport. It's a lot of risk on the player. They're betting on themselves, but it's almost like a casino, Lou. Some player could play up to, you know, when he's like 35 and another player could get injured and not sniff another deal at 28. So I think it's still a huge risk as far as I'm concerned. I know why they're doing it. They feel like they're going to get paid a lot more and the contracts keep going up every year. And, you know, wide receivers don't get injured quite as much. They don't get hit quite as much as running backs or quarterbacks. But I still think it's a huge risk uh, as far as, uh, you know, betting on yourself. I would want more guaranteed money up front and a larger contract. But that's just me. Well, yeah. But I think from the team's perspective, they're looking at it also as I think they're maybe agreeing with you in the fact that, you know, we're not going to give them another one of these deals. Right. But the players looking at it as, hey, I'm getting 58 guaranteed. Out of this three-year deal, which in the past, that was unheard of. There was no way the teams were going with that much guaranteed money. Yes, there's still risk. There's always going to be risk. I mean, any play could end your career. But it's mitigated by the fact that, again, you've got like generational money that's already there where in the past maybe they were getting 10 million 15 million guaranteed and again it it was obviously great money most people don't see that in their lives but it's not like 58 60 40 million dollars i think they're kind of finding that sweet spot and i think if they went any more years it would be one like those fake deals where you know it looks huge over the life of the contract but you got voidable years at the end or the end of the contract is inflated with a huge salary which they're never going to see 
And I don't know that teams are willing, I mean, they're willing to go this far, right? Which is nuts. I didn't, I didn't think we would see that where wide receivers are getting this much in guaranteed money. So that's kind of where I say, I think now maybe the odds are a little bit better on the player side. Not ideal, not perfect, but I think a little bit better than it used to be. I'm just glad, Lou, that Debo signed. It was a roller coaster off season for him. He sure. obviously, you know, asked for a trade and trade you know, to sure. It just looked like this might not work out, but I'm just glad that they're bringing, you know, their their best offensive weapon back. I mean, he led the league in over 18 yards per catch and over 6 yards per carry and he scored like a combined 14 touchdowns. So, I'm glad that we didn't let the old pro receiver go because he certainly put up huge numbers in those games in that short span of a career that he's had. You know, in hindsight, of course, it's 2020, all that stuff, scrubbing the social media, saying that he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want as many carries, you know, too much wear and tear. It's all posturing, right? He wanted a new deal. I want to live, you know, on the East Coast, you know, closer to home. It's all agent speak, I think, for the most part. I think he knows in Kyle Shanahan's offense, he is elite, He's an elite player. Maybe if he goes somewhere else, they don't use him quite the same way or know him as well, or it's going to take some time. Yeah, I think all's well that ends well. Just in my heart of hearts, you just couldn't see him playing for another team. This was going to get done. At least that was my my sense, and it's worked out, and I'm not patting myself on the back for being right. I just think it's great that he's staying where he's kind of built himself into what he is. I'm glad that it happened. You know, I'm glad that we're getting, you know, our wide back back, I guess, in, into the fold. And he's still going to get carries. <laughs> he oh, asked of for those carries, right? Of course, of course. I mean, he is he's a wide receiver slash running back. That's it. I mean, just get used to it. They're going to... O.W. They're going to pound weapon. him. Yeah, the offensive weapon. Speaking of posturing, Kareem Hunt is also seeking a contract extension with the Browns and... Apparently, he's requested the trade from them. There's another player who's been productive in his couple of seasons with the Browns, but he wants to get protected as a running back as well. And by the way, he's in his final year of (laughs) a two-year contract. Yeah, I mean, speaking of templates, this is kind of like a recurring theme. Okay, I'm going to, you know, you're not going to give me an extension. Okay, I'm going to request a trade, and we're kind of going to go through these steps. I don't think the Browns are, are, are going to trade him. I mean, he's a big part of that team. I mean, if he really, really pushes it, he's about to be or is 27 years old, which, again, back in the day, you'd think, oh, you know, he's got another you know, five, six years left. But anymore, you know, they filter running backs in. You get the 27, 28. If you're not established as the guy, good luck. And even if you are, you know, you're, you're not really entrenched. So let's see how that plays out. I think that pumps up Dearness Johnson's value a lot, especially in fantasy football for, for those people that care about that kind of stuff. I don't know that it does much for Nick Chubb. He's still going to have his role. I uh, love Nick Chubb. I'm had him in a keeper league for a bunch of years and I got him really torn this year. I may not be able to keep him. I don't, I, uh, it's between him and Stefan Diggs, but uh, I digress. A couple other receivers from that uh, draft class, going back to them, McCole Hardman, who, I mean, obviously he's had like average 
play at best or not a huge amount of production. So huge year for him. Paris Campbell hasn't been able to stay healthy. Andy Isabella, again, same thing, not really healthy. So there's just a few guys there that haven't got paid. But that class is really has really stood out. Yeah, Kareem Hunt, trade me. Get me out of here. And my favorite wide receiver of all, you know, Nikhil Harry. You know, Heard again, I hear. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that seems to be the theme. All right. Well, hopefully we're not beating a dead horse, but this Deshaun Watson thing is still, you know, clouding the NFL at this point. For those of you that may have been living under a rock, the, the judge, the independent judge came out and suspended him for six games based on the hearings that they had. She used words in her brief or her finding as egregious predatory, like nothing she had seen before in the NFL in terms of players doing this kind of activity. I guess the thing is, I mean, she's a a federal judge. I mean, it's her job to kind of weigh the facts. So basically, if she was in court, she would have found him guilty. Now, the one thing she's not tasked with doing is rewriting the sentencing piece of it. So she gives him six games because that was the precedent. I think she pretty much laid it out to the NFL that, okay, you want to appeal this because he is guilty or whatever. Now it's up to the NFL. This is a business, right? I don't know, 30 40% of the, the fans are female. Do you really think they're going to settle on, oh, yeah, the guy got six games. He's really not getting fined any money because of the way they structured his contract. Is it a rigged game? Whatever let alone the Cleveland fans and everything else. So the NFL, of course, appeals. I think they're going to still, they're going to try to go for that year suspension or indefinite, whatever, however they word they word or term it. I think they're going to want him to pay a fine. And I think there's going to be some mandatory therapy in there. I don't know, you know, the NFLPA, I'm sure they, they've already responded with a brief. You know, they're going to say what they're going to say. And now this uh, the former, I think, attorney general in New Jersey, whatever, he's going to decide this. So it's a mess, whatever happens here. But it just seems to me that it's definitely going to be more than six games. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was a year. It was a big fine and mandatory therapy. It's amazing that... Deshaun Watson got suspended for as many games as Big Ben. What Deshaun Watson did, allegedly, is a lot more serious. It's not for us to judge him, obviously, and I think the NFL is is still, like, even though they're appealing this, and even though they might get more games out of this, and maybe they'll get a suspension for a full year, but this situation just looks murky. It looks messy. I mean, any way yeah, you whatever, look at it, like you can't come out happens. clean. You can't exactly. come out Whatever clean. the result, it's going to be a mess for all parties involved. I don't think they're going to get a year out of this. Maybe they'll get 10 games, and that will push it you know, more than you know, half a season. I just don't see how they can suspend him for a full year after initially he got six games out of it. If they get a year out of this, there's going to be another appeal. You know, well, then I think the NF- maybe the NFLPA sues the league. And then it does go to court. It's not like independent arbitration where this is all, again, I think that's the thing that people might you know tend to overlook is that this is all independent. This is all within that sort of like employee-employer situation. So there's no guidelines as far, and again, for the judge, I mean, there was no guidelines for her to say, okay, it can be this 
the punishment can be this, this, or that. I mean, she didn't have any. All she has is precedent. I don't know if, if Sirius is the same thing. His offenses were, I guess, more often, or there were more cases. They brought like four or five of these cases to put in front of her. So she didn't read like, you know, all 20 losses or whatever. So that's neither here nor there. But the point is that they're going to have to come up with this punishment. And if the NFLPA feels like, okay, we have to stand up for our guy and they sue in federal court and they can't come to any sort of settlement, I don't know that the owners want a lot of testimony being brought out, right? I mean, I don't think they ever like going to court. I mean, ever since the, you know, the Al Davis days and, and, and everything with, with that between the Raiders, I mean, now all of a sudden, a lot of dirty laundry is going to be coming out. The, the owners definitely don't want that. We'll get into that a little bit when we talk about the dolphin situation too, but this isn't going to end well for anyone. No one's going to feel like, okay, we got justice here. It's just going to be a mess. And the whole idea, because again, this is a business, is to mitigate the damage to the game, to the bottom line. Unfortunately, when you look at things that way and you bring in what he did, it just seems like they're cold, callous, and all they care about is money. So at the end of the day, that's what, what most casual fans or people that aren't fans of the NFL are going to say, is that these just a bunch of billionaires protecting themselves and yada, 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 life goes on. Look what has happened in Washington. John Gruden was the one that got thrown under the bus there, but it goes, it that's, runs a lot that's still, that. that's still It's still out there. He's, he is suing the league. I mean, if this comes to court again, I don't, these owners don't want stuff coming out. And he has a lot, I think. With all those emails, there's going to be other people. There's going to be other owners sending emails or other executives saying things that they didn't want to come to light. So, yeah, it's going to get ugly. Deflategate, Lou. I mean, as much as you want to, like, you know, not talk about it, but that was a huge one as well. The NFL has had some major scandals. It has tried to kind of sweep under the rug, you know, as quickly as possible. So these stories don't get out of hand a little bit. And obviously the Miami Dolphins just situation leaves another, you know, bad imprint as far as the game is concerned, as far as the NFL is concerned, because obviously the the findings show that, hey, the Dolphins were trying to lose and they were also trying to tamper with the quarterback and with the head coach when they were employed with, you know, other teams. And this whole thing just kind of came out of the blue you know to a degree i mean as far as the 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 brady you know air quotes retirement which now it sounds it really wasn't a retirement to begin with at all it was basically him positioning himself to take a stake in the dolphins and also play for the dolphins and be coached by sean payton and then it's found out that they were actually trying to get him when he was still in new england Evidently, he's you know one of his friends is part of the ownership group in Miami, Bruce Beal, and conversations with him and uh, a lot of other pieces of this. Where and then even Sean Payton stepping away unexpectedly, right? And you know, did he know that he was going to the Dolphins? But the whole thing kind of got submarine when Flores just kind of blew the whistle on the owner. That's the thing about this that really bothers me the most is that it looks like the punishment 
primarily was for the tampering piece of it. Now, I'm sure tampering goes on all the time. They've tried to clean this up for, you know, during free agency and so forth, but it's always a mess and these deals are being struck one minute after free agency starts. And you know, come on, seriously. But this one was to a point where a guy was under contract to another team, not a free agent. So it made it worse. But the only punishment was, okay, so they lose a first and 23. They lose a third and 24. $1.5 million. Ross, again, air quotes, suspended for the first six weeks. And that was for tampering. Now, again, I mean, this all kind of falls, you know, within the Deshaun Watson stuff. And they, they kind of slide it in there. Found that there was no evidence of tanking where... Flores, uh, evidently, I mean, I think he sent a letter, documented the whole thing as it was happening. Yes, he did tank, but oh no, he was just joking. It wasn't serious. Why would an owner even have that come out of his mouth? Why would you even fool with that? And Flores, I think you could see they, they were never in sync. The Deshaun Watson stuff, I mean, all this stuff. And now it comes out and again, this is done. There's no, I don't think there's any appeal here because uh, Ross came out and said, well, I'm going to accept the findings. I don't agree with them, but okay, fine. He knows he got a slap on the wrist and he could have lost his team and you know, this could got even more ugly. But, uh, but again, the NFL, it's a, it's a business. You have to mitigate as much uh, exposure as possible. And I don't know. I mean, it just seems like the, the the Dolphins, they didn't get anything out of it. I mean, they tampered. They tried to tank. They didn't get the guy they wanted. Uh, they didn't get the coach they wanted. They didn't get the Brady to come there. So classic Dolphins. They did everything they could to cheat, but they got caught. And now here we are. I can't imagine like Chris Greer still having a job there. I mean, he's been with the organization forever. He's been the GM there. I mean, wanting to be there. Jesus. I mean, most owners would fire him if he chose Tua over Justin Herbert. And they keep, you know, beating the dead horse over and over again every week. But it's just like when a GM makes a pick like that, there's no way he should remain the GM of that team. But obviously, you know, Ross and Greer are probably buddies. Must By be, the way, must be a good, he's being a good soldier, and Flores was, wasn't having it. He just like no, I, I, I'm a principled guy. I'm, I'm here to win. Whatever he did, what he could. I think what they win like five games that year, and most of them were in the second half of the season. Because I think the story was that he really wanted Joe Burrow, the the owner, and that's what they they wanted to you know basically not win a game, and he was going to pay him a hundred thousand dollars per loss. Plus, Chris Greer was at the Senior Bowl that year. Tua wasn't because he was a junior. And Justin Herbert was there attending that Senior Bowl. He saw him for the entire week. He was able to talk to him, you know. He was able to see every throw, the way he interacts with teammates, the way he, you know, picks up the system at the Senior Bowl. I think it's unacceptable, to be honest with you, when you get that up-close look and then you screw it up that badly, and then you still get to keep a pretty sizable job, you know, your position out there. By the way, do you think after this, Stephen Ross can actually keep the team? I mean, wouldn't somebody from that ownership group tell him to step down and kind of start over, start fresh? Because, I mean, this guy has been pretty messy since he has taken over the team. You know, he's trying to catch up to Daniel Snyder as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't yeah. want to have any of this because 
I mean, you have a new coaching staff. You're trying to build something. You know, you lose a first-round pick in next year's draft. You lose a, a third-round pick in the 2024 NFL draft. Don't you want to, like, distance yourself from this entire messy story? The fact that he's trying to get a, another quarterback in Tom Brady. He was trying to get Peyton out there. There's a reason why Brady retired. And there's a reason why Peyton walked away from the Saints. And then, obviously, the reversed field when they realized that there was no way they can have it. You know, there's no way they can come to the Dolphins after, you know, Flores came out with the accusations. How can you continue being the owner of the Miami Dolphins? I guess that's what I'm asking you. Well, money, you know, I mean, these multi-billionaires are used to getting what they want when they want. I mean, it's not, I don't know if they really live in any, any sort of reality. And you get a group of them together and it's going to take a lot for them to force one of their brethren, no matter how despicable they are, out because that's kind of sets a precedent. And then, hey, that could happen to me. There's some stuff. I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I have in my closet that can come out. And now I'm going to lose my team. This thing that's worth, you know, five or six billion dollars and just continues to grow every year. You know, do you think Kraft wants a lot of a lot of uh, you know testimony about things coming out? Do you think any of these owners want? Now, now, obviously, there's some that you know a little more you know cleaner. You've never heard their names implicated in anything, but maybe that's just because they have a good support system and nothing gets out. And that's I think the thing that they're really afraid of. So that's why I think you know the owner in this case Ross gets a slap on the wrist, even though the personal conduct policy says that executive levels and ownership is held to a higher standard where again it just becomes hypocrisy because they're going after this player which again he deserves to be gone after and he should probably sit out a hell of a lot more than six games but on the other hand here's an owner messing with the integrity of the game messing with you know, trying to get people that are under contract with other teams, his partners, if you would, trying to steal their employees, and here's what he gets. You know, what's it, $1.5 million? That guy, what the hell? I mean, that's like a, you know, maybe one of his, what a dividend for a, for a month, right? I mean, that's, that's nothing. The draft picks, he doesn't care. Come on. And, and the suspension, that, that's the, the classic one. Six weeks, what? He doesn't get to sit in his box and watch the games. Other than that, his life is normal. So, again, I, I love watching the games. You know, can't wait for the season to start. But these guys that own the teams, they're just, you know, in a lot of cases, they're just kind of despicable human beings. And they just try to they get away with what they can. And they until they don't, they're going to continue to do this. I'm waiting for a John Gruden tell-all book. He's got a lawsuit, and if it goes to court, the book's going to write itself, right? He doesn't have to write it. It'll just be the, the record, the, the, the court records is going to be the book. I don't know that we, that we see it. I mean, that would be like must-see TV if you, you know, if you were a football fan and were into like this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's going to get murky and messy. But the bottom line is, as far as we're concerned, we don't know any of this stuff. We're just kind of giving our opinion. But can't wait for, the, for more games to start. Coming up uh, this week, every team will, will be playing and you know, get to see your favorite rookies finally put the NFL uniform on a real field under the lights or just real game action. So, so that should be pretty cool. Anything else going on, Alex? You know, you mentioned fantasy a little bit. I'm drafting Trevor Lawrence in 
Travis Etienne for my team because I think Lawrence will bounce back and I think he'll put up huge stats in Peterson's offense. And I think Travis Etienne is is going to be a major weapon knowing that you know Robinson is still coming back from injury and won't be healthy for the start of the season. I think those two guys I'm trying to get in my fantasy drafts. I mean, that's my goal. Giving away your draft strategy. I like it. Ballsy move, man. All right, gang. Until next time, he's Alex. I'm Lou. Peace.